Salam Church. Good morning. Welcome back to Battle English Office. This morning we gather here to praise and worship our God. Amen. Come on, let us stand and give give Him the biggest hand. So, hallelujah. All together we come to You, Lord, in this place to praise Your name on high.
seek your face to know you are here right now. You dwell in this place, Jesus.
to hear the word of God said by Reverend Dr. George Anadorai, President of Salom Israel, Asia Pacific. God bless you. Shalom, Kluwarga. Allow me to share God's word with you as I invite you to come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are fully to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct her? But we have the mind of Christ. All Christians have a singular goal. Our goal in Christ is growth. Growth is the highest purpose that God has for each one of us. So for instance, in John chapter 15, 
Jesus speaks about that it is the Father's desire to see growth in each one of us, that we may bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So growth has always been and will be the ultimate goal for all Christians, for you and for myself. We need to be growing at all times. But in order for us to grow, two other things need to happen. We need to be guided by the Lord and then we need to be guarded by the Lord. So allow me to paint you a picture with growth as the destination and this is the road. So as we are traveling on this road that leads to growth, God himself must guide us as to which way we must go. Then God also must guard us from which way we must not go. For instance, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, God says, Walk straight, Joshua. Do not turn right. Do not turn left. Walk straight so that you may be successful. In the same way, the Apostle Paul was taking time to instruct a young church, a church that he himself had founded and established during his second missionary journey between the years 49 to 8052. During his second missionary journey, amongst the many places that the Apostle Paul went, Corinth was one such place where he established a church. Now, in AD 53, about a year later, he's writing to them, the Corinthian church members who are young in the Lord. And because they are young in the Lord, they were very immature in their thinking. And therefore, Paul takes time to instruct them on the ways of God. So allow me to break my message down into three parts. Parts one, parts two, part three. Part one, the messengers of God to set the foundation. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. And then part two, the message of God. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through 13. And then Part 3, the methods of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. This is where I want to dwell and take time to expound. This is our main focus, the methods of God. So how does God guide us? How does God guide us in order that you and I may grow? But in order to set that, I need to take a few moments to share with you on parts 1 and part 2. So part one, the messengers of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brothers, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In order for us to understand what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians back in AD 53, first century, we need to understand before these Corinthians became believers, before they became Christians, what were they? Well, they were part of a pagan culture, the Greek culture, 
in uh, the city of Corinth. And the uh, city of Corinth was one of the major cities in the Greek Empire. And um, they had a certain culture that was powerfully prevalent in their day and time. For instance, in Indonesia today, many of the young people will have nothing to say concerning the time when the Dutch ruled Indonesia, when Java was Batavia. But um, that was 400 years ago. But if you were to ask your grandfather, your grandmother who are still alive today, they might be able to say or share some thoughts about the Dutch rule over Indonesia. So nearly 400 years from the time they came in until August 17, 1945, nearly 400 years the Dutch ruled Indonesia. And in the course of their rule and reign, uh, they introduced their culture. So likewise, when Alexander conquered the then known world, he introduced the Greek culture in the then known empires. And Corinth was one of them uh, that grew up in Greek culture. And among the Greeks, there is a certain practice that has become known and prevalent. Uh, this was about um, uh, 500 years before the time that Paul wrote this epistle to the Corinthians. But 500 years before um, this letter was written, there were powerful men, famous men, who walked the streets of Greece and in Corinth. Men like Socrates, men like Aristotle, men like Plato. These are names that we hear and learn in our schools. These are famous Greek philosophers. So Paul is making reference to these Greek philosophers who step into the public arena and by debate and dialogue, they begin to make their case, state their case, make their points. And Paul says, I am not like them. I am not one of them. I am not here to publicly debate or dialogue. And one other thing, and as far as Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle for that moment, all philosophers back in the days of Greece, their aim was to engage the mind. Their goal was to engage the mind. And therefore, Paul had something very important to say to the new believers, that while the philosophers their goal is to engage your mind. My goal is not to engage your mind, but through your mind to engage your spirit. Now, this is critically important because this is how we as Christians differ from the people of the world. So Paul makes a point that what I do is to demonstrate the power of the spirit that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is making a shift in the minds of the Corinthian believers that it's not all about the mind, but something far more important, the spirit. So he makes a statement so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As we move to part two, the message of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. Allow me to read this part of the scripture. 
Yet among the mature, we do not, we do impart wisdom. Sorry, allow me to read that again. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Important now, huh? through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So now Paul shifts the gear and moves on to make his next statement. He said, I am not coming to impart the wisdom of the world. I am not coming to impart the wisdom of the Greek philosophers who impart their wisdom through debates and dialogues and their goal is to engage the minds of the people, the intellect of the people. My goal is something else. He says, my goal is not to simply impart knowledge to you, but wisdom. Not just any kind of wisdom, not the wisdom that the world has to offer, not the wisdom that the Greek philosophers have to offer, but the wisdom of God himself. But this wisdom from God that is unlike the wisdom of the world is not something that can be imparted to the mind, but to the spirit. Now, this is an important transition. Paul, having said what he is not coming to do, now he is making a statement what he is coming to do. He wants to impart wisdom, but this wisdom cannot be caught by the mind, but by the spirit. So this is the junction where Paul moves on to the third part of his message. And this is where you and I need to Really, really listen to what the Word of God has to say. Part 3, The Methods of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him, or foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here in part three, 
as we are taking time to consider the methods of God, how God uh, guides us, how God guides us, how God brings growth in us. So with that as the overarching theme, I am now bringing you into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Now, those who are not believers, Christians, believe that man is made up of two parts. There's a body that we can see, and then there's a mind, or as some may call it, the soul, the body and the soul. But once we become believers, we believe in one thing more, something else. Once you and I receive Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives, and when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, now we understand by the Word of God that we are not just body, we are not just a soul, but there is also a spirit. That's a third part of us. So the technical term that people use in seminary is that if a man thinks he's only body and soul, body and mind, then he's considered what we call a bipartite man. But the Bible insists that we as believers choose to believe in something more, something else, that we are not just body and soul, body and mind, but we are body, soul and spirit. Tripartite man. Tri means three. Tripartite man. So the word Trinity comes from the word tri, T-R-I, tripartite man. Now this is critically important because here in verse 14, Paul is making a statement that the natural person, the natural person by that he means those who have not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and those who are not born again, those who are not believers. So he's making a comparison between the believers in the Corinthian church and those outside the church who are unbelievers. He said, the people outside the church, they do not understand that there is a spirit in a man. And he says, if and when we speak about the spirit in a man, they it doesn't make sense to them. It's nonsense to them. So they say it's foolish to them. They're not able to understand because they are spiritually discerned. When Adam sinned, something happened to him. And this is the part that you and I need to understand in order for us to grow um, in every way that the Lord desires us. So when Adam was first created by God, he had a body, he had a soul. But then when God breathed into him the breath of God, the Ruach, he became a living soul. That's where he got a spirit. So that's the first state of Adam before his sin. He was body, soul and spirit. And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, after he had committed the sin of partaking in the fruit together with his wife Eve, something happened. His body remained alive. His soul remained alive, but his spirit died. By that we mean that his relationship with God died. The spirit part of him died. While his body and soul remain alive, the spirit part of him died. So when one person, when a person accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior, as you have, as I have, at that very moment, the spirit of God enters us 
and brings our spirit back into life. The spirit which was dead now comes alive. So now, not only is our body alive, not in is our soul alive, but our spirit is alive as well. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes and takes his dwelling. So throughout the Bible, we have statement after statement that the Holy Spirit lives in us. So which part of us does he live in? He doesn't live in our body. He doesn't live in our soul, but he lives in our spirit because he is spirit, Holy Spirit. He lives in our spirit. And now that he has come and he has taken a dwelling place, a habitation in our spirit, our spirit now is alive. And that's where wisdom from God is transmitted and imparted. So here, Paul is making an important statement to the Corinthian believers who were one, two years old in the Lord and they were immature. And this is what he was trying to instruct them. That in the past, you used to judge everything by your mind. You were judging everything if this is good, not good, by your mind. Because that's how you were taught to function in the world, the Greek world. But now that you are a believer, a born again believer, God has awakened, God has made your spirit alive and it is through your spirit that God communicates with you. So you need to come to become acutely aware that that's where the Holy Spirit is in your spirit and it is through your spirit that the spirit of God interacts with you. So therefore, Paul is making an important statement here to this new believers that you need to activate your spirit. You need to make your spirit come alive. You need to allow your spirit to be aggressively alive because that's where the Holy Spirit lives and that's how the Holy Spirit communicates with you. The world will never understand that because they believe that man is made up of body and soul. We believe that God has made us body, soul, and spirit. So therefore, it is by the spirit that we must discern all things, not by the mind, but by the spirit. Which is why every time you and I read the word of God, this word of God. Now, although this word of God was written by men, the Bible is very clear in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So every word in the Bible has been inspired. Inspired means breathe. That the Holy Spirit breathed into this word of God. So every time you and I read, we are feeding the spirit man inside us, which is why it is so very essential that we must feed. Just like the body needs food, the spirit also needs food. What happens to the body if you don't give it food? Slowly, it weakens and then finally it dies. The spirit too needs food, daily food. And the daily food prescribed to us is the word of God, which is why Jesus said, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and 4. Therefore, each time you read the word of God, understand this, you're feeding your spirit. 
then why do we pray? Why not we just decide on a certain thing? When it comes to an important decision, it could be marriage, it could be your career, it could be a business decision, it could be even a decision involving you migrating from Indonesia and moving to another country to take up permanent residence. These are major decisions. So when it comes to major decisions such as this, as Christians, as believers, you and I are advocated to always pray first. Why? Why pray? Because in the absence of prayer, we will engage our mind and we will decide if it is good for me to go or good for me not to go. And that's how the people of the world will respond to such a situation. Good to go, good not to go, and they use their mind as their primary base of information to decide what to do. But the moment you and I accept Jesus and the Spirit comes to dwell in us, we have a higher source of wisdom. Now, this Spirit that you and I have, that the residence of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the very wisdom of God, He is God. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit who lives in us is God, God Himself. So God has come to take residence in us. And because He is God, He has got full access to the wisdom of God. The wisdom of heaven resides in us. So each time you and I are called to pray, by praying, we are not engaging our mind, we are engaging our spirit. We are engaging our spirit. So we are checking this information out with the spirit, not with our mind. Um, this is good to go, good not to go, based on how everyone else in the world decides. But we are deciding yes or no, based on what the spirit has to say to us, which is why we must pray. It is through prayer, in prayer, the spirit begins to interact with us. And sometimes when we think it is yes, the answer comes to him from him as no. And sometimes when we think it is no, the answer comes from him as yes. Now this has happened many times to me, that before I engage myself in prayer, my mind says no. But after I've engaged myself in prayer, now that the Spirit has been activated and he is alive, and when I start to listen to what he has to say, the answer is totally different from what I thought was. And he says, yes. And then there have been other times when I was thinking before I prayed, this should be a yes. I should say yes to this. But then after prayer, I ended up saying no. So what happened? The wisdom of God prevailed. Isaiah tells us that our thoughts are not his thoughts, neither are our ways his ways. As the heaven is higher than the earth, so are his thoughts, so are his ways. Because we know this much, God knows everything. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He is God. And because we only know a part and he knows all, it makes a lot of sense that we ask God, consult God on all major decisions, be it marriage, be it a career move, be it a migration, 
or be it a business deal. It makes a lot of sense based on 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we first consult the Spirit who is the wisdom of God within us. And with that, as I conclude the message, I pray that each one of you will be challenged by this message today and that the next time you have to make a major decision, major decision uh, concerning your life. Could be marriage, could be a career move, could be migration. Don't just operate in the ways of the world. The people of the world simply will have a paper taken out and draw a line in the middle and it pros and cons, uh, advantages and disadvantages, going, not going. And then they write it out and they wait. That's how the world operates. That's how you and I operated before we came to know Jesus. But now that we have come to know Jesus and the Spirit of God is now dwelling within us, it is critically important that we let Him, God, in us have the final say. And when we are able to hear and obey what he has to say, then life will be successful. Life will be prosperous. Hear and obey. Hear him and obey. Hear him and obey. So with that, allow me now to pray with you and pray over you as you take this message to heart. And remember now, the world's destination is the mind. They want to convince the mind. That's their destination. Our destination, yes, we go through the mind, but our destination is the spirit. Because everything in the final analysis is processed in the spirit, not in the mind. We use the mind, but to get to the spirit. This is a medium, but this is a destination. So as we take time to pray, May the Spirit of God come alive within you. May the Spirit of God become active within you. May the Spirit of God become aggressive within you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that has been inspired by the Spirit of God. Even now, as we have taken time to meditate upon 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Thank you for reminding us through your servant Paul that while the world aims for the mind, you're aiming for the spirit. While the world imparts knowledge to the mind, you impart wisdom into our spirit, which is why you have caused the Holy Spirit to be a permanent resident within each one of us. We thank you, Father, for allowing the Holy Spirit to take residence within us. Now we pray that each time, every time, we are to make a major decision, be it marriage, be it business, be it a career move, be it migration, whenever there is a major decision to be made, that we will not be like the people of the world, simply engaging the mind to decide yes or no. But instead, allowing your word to richly dwell in us, we will enter into a time of prayer. And as we pray, we engage the spirit and the spirit of God will begin to interact with us, giving us information that we did not know before. And now by the power of the spirit, we have the wisdom of God prevailing within us. And 
God now guiding us and guarding us. To go, not to go. To do, not to do. Yes or no. So Father, we pray that in all things, you will have the final say. The final say in everything that matters to your sons and daughters. Thank you, Father, for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And because of him, we have the Holy Spirit resident in our spirit. May our spirits come alive. May our spirits be activated. May our spirits become aggressively alive. Thank you, Father. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.